Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information about the Upper Room, please visit newroom.org. We have been in a series of um, focusing on the Lord's table and communion. And when he was admitted into hospice, I was at the hospital when they were giving him his last blood transfusion. And Eddie was, uh, Eddie was pretty distraught and obviously very discouraged because his blood transfusions actually gave him energy for a couple of days. He would, it just was sustaining him. And so when they said, hey, we're not going to continue to give you these, he was really, really down. And uh, I told Eddie, I said, hey, we can't take physical blood anymore, but we, we can still take the Lord's Supper and we can drink uh, the Lord's blood and we can eat his body. And so for the last two weeks of Eddie's life, we had a rotation where our staff, our elders, many of you were driving out to Saxe, which is a 35 minute drive from here where Eddie lived. And uh, we were taking communion with him, with Margaret, with uh, Lindsay and with Ryan. And um, yesterday at the funeral, uh, their neighbor, I believe his name was uh, Vic, uh, came up to me and, um, and he was he, was, uh, he said, I don't know if I have words for the way your body, the, the, the community here has impacted me as a neighbor of Eddie. I've watched uh, this church body love Margaret and Eddie so beautifully. And he said, I've been to a lot of churches, and, um, and this church is different. He said, you know, the Bible says we'll know them by their love. And so the love that you've demonstrated this family and the outpouring of it has, has been transformational for me and my family. And so uh, it's really uh, cool how God uh, has used you to love the Plemons and now to love the Plemons neighbor. Uh, just your witness is so loud. Um, and we need to continue to surround Margaret and Ryan and Lindsay in the days ahead. Uh, they are part of this family. And so um, I know I send... Uh, their love to you. They're not here. I bet they're watching online, but it was a great celebration and memorial of the life of Eddie uh, Plemons. So, um, yeah, he was a good friend. Um, and I want to, I want to, I want to use that as a backdrop to, to the text today and what we're going to talk about. We've been taking communion for 40 days uh, as a body. How many of you have been participating in that? On some level, I've missed a day or two, but just that we're trying to regularly take communion over the course of 40 days. We're probably about uh, 18 days into it or so. And uh, the testimonies are actually remarkable um, that are coming, but I I just really felt from the Lord that we were to sit at this table and really explore the elements of the bread and the blood um, that the Lord has provided for us. And I have some resources for you, and I want to make mention of them uh, this morning. Um, The first one I'll I'll do this. It's called Holy Communion Explained. Um, you know, the body of Christ, universally, there's a lot of different views of um, the Eucharist or the Lord's table from the Catholic Church to the Protestant Church to um, it literally being the blood in the body to it's actually just a memorial and it has no significance other than it's just a memorial. And this explains... Uh, both um, sides, it explains a lot of the ins and outs that I'm not going to get into um, as we go through this series, because I really want to impart the heart of it to you, but this will uh, help um, educate you and shape uh, just the history around this table. Um, And then the other resource for you is a book that Barbara Lowen wrote, and Barbara uh, is a friend of my mother-in-law's in in Clovis, New Mexico. Um, She had uh, stage four 
I believe it was ovarian cancer, but don't hold me to that. She had stage four cancer, and she tapped into the power of this meal in the hospital. And uh, she was healed of stage four cancer, and she really talks about um, how this meal provided, what this meal provided for her in that time. And she wrote a book called The Miracle of Communion. And um, so I ordered uh, some copies, and I want to read a testimony. This is actually a testimony in the book from my mother-in-law. Uh, my mother-in-law, um, their little small group, really tapped into the power of this meal. And this is a, a testimony that my mother-in-law uh, wrote. Um, they're dairy farmers in Clovis, New Mexico. And so uh, communion became a very sweet thing for me. It's like taking a very intimate meal with my dear friend. One Sunday, my husband, Alvin, which is my father-in-law, and I were driving home from church, and we noticed smoke in the distance. As we got closer to our dairy, the smoke clouds were getting closer and growing in size. It looked like the whole countryside, the dry, brittle fields that had been under drought for years were set ablaze. Uh, the fire was gaining strength and growing by the second. Houses and farmsteads that stood in the way of this roaring inferno were going up like matchsticks. And it was heading straight for our two dairies. They have two dairies with, like, I want to say they have, like, 12,000 cows. Um, North Texas kid married into a dairy farmer's family, so it's always fun going home. Uh, them. So five family homes plus thousands of uninsured cows were in the way of this inferno. As we arrived to our home, we heard rumors of people being evacuated, and I knew um, I had something very important to do before I helped evacuate all important papers, vehicles, and both uh, Alvin's parents, Sandra's parents, and families. So she ran into her prayer room. My mother-in-law ran into her prayer room, and uh, she had communion with the Lord. And uh, she said, my uh, my protector, and I talked it over with him. And in this intimate time, he told me, sweetie, it will be okay. After that confirmation, I went outside and declared to the mountain, to that smoke, in the name of Jesus, you cannot have our property. You cannot have our place. As I looked to the dairy, I could, I could not see Albin, my father-in-law, or the dairy because of all the smoke. Uh, later, I was told the flames were approaching the pens, and Albin was in the midst of the fire, shooting waste water at the flames as the fire tried to take over our dairy. Hills of manure were catching fire all around him, and as the fire was now only inches from the pens, fences, dairy barns, and cows, something miraculous happened. The wind and the smoke began to shift ever so slightly and blew the fire away from our property. Yeah, it's really cool. She said, I know God did this because of the communion I shared with him. Nothing on our dairy was, uh, properties were damaged. Uh, and it was, when it was all said and done, we were reminded uh, just how close the fires came. Um, just inches from the building uh, were the, the burnt ground. So um, I I've really encourage you, there's, there's testimonies like this throughout this book. Um, and I want to make these available there at the coffee bar. And uh, it'll be, it's $5 for both of them. Is that cool? That's a steal the deal. So if you want to uh, partake in these, I highly encourage you um, to do that. In fact, I want to give a couple away. Um, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> pregnant mom. Our pregnant moms. Your future. Uh, will you run those to the people in the back? be great. Um, so isn't that a cool testimony? So I encourage you uh, to dive into that. There's books available in the coffee shop. If you have your Bibles, open to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. <clears throat> I, I've, you know, a lot of times we preach, and uh, sometimes it's topical. Um, we take a topic, and we kind of run through the Bible and give you a, a, 
a view of the topic and really preach the heart of it. This morning, uh, my preaching is going to be a little different. Um, I really want to walk through line by line um, uh, this, this text that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. Uh, it's the most in-depth text we have about communion, and I think it's one of the most misunderstood texts about communion. And I think if we don't understand this text properly, we won't approach the table properly because Paul gives some very explicit instructions about approaching the table. And, um, and the way it was interpreted in my upbringing actually really scared me from coming to the table. And I'll tell you about the rituals I went through as a teenager and young adult coming to the table because of what I had heard uh, when it came to approaching the table because of words Paul uses in this text. He talks about approaching it in a worthy manner. Don't approach the table in an unworthy manner. He says to examine yourself. He says if you don't examine yourself correctly, you're going to be guilty of the blood and the bread. And if you're guilty of the blood and the bread, then you're going to put judgment upon yourself. And I would read this and I would be like, who wants to eat this? Like, who wants to come to this table? Like, I am, like, so scared that I'm going to partake of it in an unworthy fashion. Like, honestly. And so, man, I started examining myself. I was looking at myself. I was like, good gosh. There's a lot to examine. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I got to examine and figure out, uh, wow, I had a lustful thought this week. Uh, I told a, a lie. I cheated on this exam, whatever it was, you know, I like, I remember I would have, uh, I would, <laughs> as the, the, the table was coming or the, the, the communion was being passed, um, I would draw a cross on the bulletin in preparation for communion, I would draw it. And then on the side, I would have like one, two, three, four, five, and I would just begin listing off things that I needed to confess as I approached the table. And I, my story, I'm not the only one that did that. Um, I, I know a lot of people that still approach the table this way, um, that, that they need to find things in their life to bring to the table. And, and I'm not saying the table's for that, like it's for you and your mess, but, but that's not what Paul is addressing here. And if, we're, if we read it that way, we'll be in trouble when we come to the meal. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I will read the text here in just a second. Okay, so let me, let, me, let, me, let me break this text into two sections and then start unpacking some of the things that, that really hindered me from coming to the table uh, appropriately. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, it says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. So the Lord Jesus told Paul about this. The revelation Paul's about to share, he received it directly from the Lord. He wasn't at the Lord's Supper, but he would hear from the Lord in an encounter that he had with him about the Lord's Supper. So he's going to unpack this. He says, listen, it was the night in which he was betrayed. He had given thanks. He broke the bread. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also, after the supper, saying, this cup is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. In verse 26, it says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns, period. Now, Paul is about to use a word in the next verse. He's going to say, in verse 27, he's going to say, therefore. Everyone say that word. 
therefore. So from 27 on, Paul, Paul is going to admonish or exhort the Corinthian church based on what he heard from Jesus. So from 27 on, it's Paul's commentary on what the Lord revealed to him. But 23 to 26 is what the Lord revealed to Paul. So I want us to focus on 23, 24, 25, and 26, and that will help us as we read 27 onward. You following me? So we hear, take the bread, take the blood. Do this in remembrance of me. The verse I really want to focus on for a second, and it's what I focused on the first time I presented uh, communion to you, is verse 26. I think verse 26 is like a key verse for us when we come to the table. And we need to understand verse 26. If we don't understand verse 26, we will mess up all the other verses. The lens that we have to view this text through, and it's important text because, again, it's the only place in the Bible that someone tells the church, this is how you take the meal. And so we need to see it correctly lest we end up in some religious mess that hinders us from really enjoying the full benefits of this meal. And Paul is correcting something very specific in the church at Corinth. It's not just this, he's not just kind of blanketing them, he's addressing a specific issue that we're going to talk about when he says to come to the table in a worthy manner. But, but in light of coming to the table in a worthy manner, you have to view the table through 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26. He says, for as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, as often as you do this, so it doesn't say do it every Sunday, doesn't say it, do it every day, doesn't say do it once a year. It says for as often as you do this, meaning you could take it multiple times a day. You can take it as often as you desire. You can take it, we took it at Eddie's memorial yesterday. We've taken it at weddings that I've done with a number of you. We've taken it, my wife and I, uh, we've taken it in our, in, I was going to say in our bedroom. We've taken it, we have, we've taken it in our bedroom, but it was holy and awesome and amazing. But <laughs> gosh, what am I saying? <laughs> Forgive me. I, we've taken it in the kitchen. We've taken it over our kids. We, I'm saying you can take it anywhere, all right? Stop judging me. Take the table. Gosh, you can take it anywhere. You can take it in an airplane. I've taken it in an airplane. I've taken it in the car. I've taken it with Cheerios and milk, all right? You've taken it. It's, it's, it's about what you're doing. It's about the elements and what they represent in your life. So as for as often as you take it, when you, can you take it? Anytime, anywhere, for anything. So for as often as you take it, honey, I'm so sorry. I love you. Gosh. Okay, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, and the free previous two verses in 24 and 25 talk about the cup and they talk about the bread. So this is for as often as you eat the bread, drink the cup, and then he says these, I think it's eight words. Eight words are really important. He said, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Okay. Now, I, I, these eight words are really important before we dive in 
to the exhortation that Paul's going to give. He says, you proclaim. This is you actively doing something. You are proclaiming. Now, this word for proclaim, this word for proclaim, it means to announce, it means to decree, or it means to preach. So you are preaching. This is a, a sermon. If you, if you, I don't have a message. I don't know what to preach. You can preach this, according to Paul. You're preaching. You're proclaiming. You're declaring. What are you declaring? You're declaring two realities. Can you put up just the, 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 the picture I had? Joe Awesome, who is awesome, make me an awesome picture of this. Oh, it's behind me. So here's what you're doing. You are proclaiming, and what you're proclaiming is you're proclaiming Christ's death. So you're proclaiming the historical fact that Christ died for you. It is a concrete fact that, that the word became flesh. Jesus Christ, God incarnate, came, and he died on a cross. He hung on a cross, and this body the bread and this wine, the blood, represent that moment in time, a real specific moment in time that happened on the earth that God gave his one and only son to us. And the flesh that's in your hands represents that momentous, beautiful, horrific, incredible, glorious thing that we're going to explore for eternity, the ramifications of what God did on that day, we start proclaiming Christ died. <laughs> Following me? And that's the, that's the focal and reference point for the beginning of this meal, for the beginning of our faith, for the beginning of our lives and existence. When we wake up, we look and we say, we have been crucified with Christ. We no longer live, but Christ lives within us. That something starts to come alive inside of us when we look back at what he's done for us. You following me? So from there comes this overarching and I did an overarching arrow up there for a reason because this is the canopy that we live under. And we live under this canopy until a specific moment in time that's in the future. And in the future, what's happening is this man, a man like you, a man like me, died and was resurrected from the dead. He was dead and he came back to life. Because death could not have a hold upon him. So if he was alive then, he's alive today, and he's somewhere. Where is he? I proclaim his death. Well, I'm proclaiming his return one day. One day he's coming back. And as I proclaim that in the midst of what is, it focuses me on what he did. It focuses me on what he's going to do. And it changes my reality today. And as I proclaim that, faith comes by what? Hearing. So as I'm proclaiming it, I'm actually growing and building my faith in these two realities, which strengthens me to face whatever's before me. Whether it's fires that are coming after your dairy whether it's sickness or disease or weakness or broke, whatever it is, it prepares us. And Paul is going to say to the church at Corinth, based on this activity, how you do this activity, in verse 30, he says, for this reason, because they weren't approaching this table rightly, 
because they weren't judging the elements rightly. He says, for this reason, many, everyone say the word many. Many among you are weak, sick, and dying. Weak means this, without strength. Sickness is not just ethereal spiritual sickness. It is physical disease. And asleep actually means have died. This is a humbling reality, is it not? Now, now, now we, we read that in the negative and we're like, oh my God, if I don't take this right, I'm in trouble. But, but Paul is speaking as a leader and he's saying, I believe he's saying, listen, in this, you can actually be strong. In this, you can actually be whole physically, emotionally, spiritually. In this, you can live in longevity and fulfill every purpose God has set forth for you in your generation, what he's called you to do. You will fulfill it and you will die once that's been completed. It's found in this meal. Are you following me? So what I see in this text is this invitation to explore. Like the Bible says it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it's the glory of kings to what? To search something out. And what I read when I read this text and I see this meal is that God has concealed something in this meal that we need to search out and grow in understanding, wow, what has been provided through the cup? What has been provided through the bread? There's this invitation for us to grow. To grow in what? Proclaiming to grow in faith. Your faith is not just something you yell. Your faith is something you cultivate and grow. It's something that, that, that it's, like, it's like nutrition. Over time, it affects your soul. Over time, it affects your mind. Over time, you start to strengthen yourself and build yourself up. And when a storm comes, not if, when. When a storm comes, when a storm comes, your, your foundation or what you've built is tested. It's tested. And I believe for too long, we have forsaken, like, really exploring this. And so sickness, disease, weakness comes, and we create these weird views about God and God's sovereignty that, that, that put us in a passive like stance towards our problems. And while God's in the heavens, he does what he pleases. Paul does not give us liberty to say this for this reason. For this reason, because of how you're approaching the meal, you're weak. For this reason, because of how you're approaching the meal, you're sick. For this reason, because of how you're approaching the meal, you're dying. He's not saying it's God's in the heaven and he's causing these things. He's saying if you would have a right view of this meal, these things wouldn't take place. So what Paul's inviting us into here is he's inviting us into an offensive posture towards our weaknesses, towards our sicknesses, towards death, that we have to approach this and say there's something about this meal that speaks to what I'm going through. 
that communicates something to my sickness, that communicates something to my depression, that communicates something to my brokenness in my marriage, in my job. Like this meal is speaking. But the question is, do we have ears to hear what the meal is saying? So I haven't even gotten into the good stuff. (laughs) Because after this, in the therefore, Paul, Paul would say in verse 27, so again, this is Paul's exhortation. It's his commentary to the church at Corinth. Hey, listen. You're taking the meal in an unworthy manner. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the blood, shall be guilty of the body and and blood of the Lord Jesus. Whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the blood, the body and the blood of the Lord. In verse 28, but a man must examine himself, and in doing so, he's to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many of you are weak, sick, and a number of you are asleep. So I, I want to unpack a couple of things that he says, because it's important that you view these words rightly, lest you end up like me as a 13-year-old with you know, drawing a cross, and you have this section of sins, and you're just launching them, hoping, God, I'm honoring you and approaching this table in a worthy manner. You following me? So, um, first and foremost, no one's worthy to take this meal. He's not saying you have to be worthy to take this meal. He's saying you need to do it in a worthy manner. I mean, there's a right way to do it. And, and, and the problem that Paul was addressing specifically in this text and how they were doing it in an unworthy manner is found in the text. Oftentimes, the Bible will interpret the Bible. And so I'm looking, Lord, Paul, what are you speaking to now that you're exhorting the church at Corinth? Well, it's found four or five verses above. We'll start in verse 19. For there must also be factions among you so that those who are approved... Uh, may become, let's do 20. Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. It's supposed to be, but he's saying it's not. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have a house in which to eat and drink? Do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I will not praise you in this. So there, there's a number of ways to interpret this. I'll give you my interpretation. But the Bible, um, the early church would gather for meals. In Jude 12, it talks about love feasts. They think that they were called love feasts. Now, whether the love feast was actually communion or it was a potluck, we don't know. Um, I, I tend to think it's a potluck because I think the rich were coming and they were bringing uh, Food and I think the poor were coming and they had nothing. And there was faction among the church because the the rich were eating their food while the poor were starving. So they were getting their fill and eating and these guys remained hungry and then they would come to the Lord's table and these guys would be overindulgent and drunk and these guys would be starving, both impacting how they approached the table. Following me? So that was, that was in the natural what Paul was addressing. He was addressing the rich who were overindulgent, the rich who were getting drunk at church, and the poor who remained hungry. And he's saying, listen, that's not a worthy way to approach the table. Now, in the natural, that's, that's, that's like, 
okay, that's a problem at the church at Corinth. We may need to write a letter about that. <laughs> like, don't be drunk. Don't be hungry. Eat before you come. Only have one glass. You know, it's like, it's like let's, let's deal with this. But, but as I read into this, I, I really felt like the Holy Spirit showed me that what's happening in the natural happens in the spiritual to us today. And, and here's what I mean is, is I think, I think there's some people, when they come to the table, all they see is their need. That's me when I was 13. All I could see, and I felt like all I needed to do is bring my need before the Lord. God, I've been such a sinner this week. I want to tell you of all the sin that I've committed this week, and I want to approach you in a worthy manner by bringing you all my sin. And so I would list it off. And I felt like the more... I exposed my need the more I was honoring him. What is the focus on when I'm doing that? What is the focus on? What is the focus on? It's on me. It's starting with me. And anytime you get introspective, it's not a good thing. Introspection will lead you to you, and you leading yourself to you will end up with you. And you leading yourself to you is not, it's like navel gazing, belly button, exploring yourself. Listen, if you want to find something wrong with yourself, you can. But the meal isn't about what's wrong with you, it's about what's right with him. It is, it's really about him. Now, what's right with him will address what's wrong with you. It will, like where there's need and it's exposed, you bring that to the table. But when you bring that to the table, you see that there's provision for your need. Following me? So it is, I'm in need. We're all in need today. There's no one in this room that's not in need, but this meal provides for us in our need. So to stay in hunger when you come to this meal or to stay focused on your sin and not receive from the Lord, that's an unworthy way to approach the table. And you will remain the same if you approach him based on your sin. Are you following me? What about these guys? These guys are overindulgent. These guys are under the influence of something else. And I, I believe that, that some of us do this with grace. That grace becomes a theology and it's all under the blood and it's all covered and it's void of relationship. So we show up intoxicated with other things and this just becomes a meal that doesn't transform us because hey, we're under the grace but it's void of relationship. It's disconnected from the source of the one that actually gives us the grace because grace isn't a theology, grace is a person. And so we get into messy grace or people that lived untransformed, their lives aren't transformed, there's little fire in their heart, they're apathetic, but man, they're under grace and they're doing whatever they want, their witness is lame, they're apathetic, their heart's not on fire because they've closed it off in the name of being under grace and they really don't want to deal with heart issues and be transformed. So they're showing up to the table intoxicated with something other than the blood and the bread. They're under the influence of something else. Following me? There was a specific issue happening in, in, uh, in the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 of someone that was abusing grace. It was a dude who was sleeping with his mother-in-law. No, his stepmother, actually. Sleeping with his step, stepmother. And... Uh, and and the church knew about it. 
The church knew about it, and they were justifying it. They weren't calling him out. And Paul was saying, this type of immorality needs to be addressed. And do you know what he points them to? Remember, Bible interpreting the Bible. Do you know what Paul points to in his exhortation of those that are in sexual immorality? Look at 1 Corinthians, just five chapters back. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 6, Paul says this. He says, your boasting is not good. Do you know that a little leaven, that a little leavens the whole lump of dough? So again, he's boasting about his sexual sin. Clean out the old leaven. Clean out the influence among you. The influence of someone justifying sexual immorality in your midst. If they won't repent and their heart is closed off and they're justifying that sin, you need to address it. Just as you are in fact unleavened, you're, you're, you're unleavened. For Christ, our Passover, has also been sacrificed. So this is the meal. He's, he's incorporating the meal, communion. So verse eight, therefore let us celebrate the feast, not with the old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice, which malice is intent to do evil. If you don't know what the word malice, it means there's intent. There's a plan inside your heart to do evil. You are willingly partnering with evil. It's not that you're struggling. It's not that you're fighting. It's that you have hardened your heart and you have decided that you are simply going to live in rebellion to the word. Are you following me? This is malice. It's evil intent, wickedness. But with um, so don't, don't approach with the old leaven, which is malice and wickedness, but with unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So he's actually saying to approach this table, you need to approach it with sincerity and you need to approach it with truth. So this actually gives us more understanding of what it means to approach the table in a worthy manner. So I really got to understand what sincerity is and I got to understand what truth is. So I dug into these words for us so that we would know how to approach the table. And do you know what I found? I found some beautiful explanations of these words. Sincerity. One of the, the definitions of the word, do you have this up there? One of the definitions of sincerity and truth approaching the meal, sincerity is to be scrutinized in the rays of the sun. Meaning, meaning that, that our lives are available and open so that light can penetrate it. It's exposed. It's not closed off. The one, the one who's sleeping with his stepmother and justifying it has hardened his heart and closed it off. He's not being sincere and opening himself up so that the light of truth can invade his heart. And truth is the greatest latitude or the greatest height. It's the highest place of perspective and will result in freedom. So what happens at the table is God, from his perspective, through the blood, through the bread, starts shining a light into our hearts and exposing places that light can invade in order to pull us up to a higher perspective so that we can see as he sees and we can view ourselves differently than we did before we came to this table. I'm stuck in pornography. It's a great example. I am in 
bondage to pornography. I am living in guilt. I am living in shame. I am living condemned. Well, do you know what your answer is? Your answer is in this meal. Paul would say, if you do not judge this, you're guilty of the blood and you're guilty of the body, which means you're going to stay in the condemnation that you're in. He's not saying, he's not saying that the blood and the body are going to going to judge you. He's saying that you're already judged. And the one thing that can free you is the blood and is the body. And if you don't judge it rightly, you're simply going to stay in that state. That's what it means by judging rightly. It means to have God's perspective towards his son so you can have proper perspective towards you. So when you come to this table, when you come to this table and you're stuck in pornography, you really want to come first with Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving for what? Thanksgiving for the table that he's prepared. Thanksgiving for the bread. Thanksgiving for the blood. You're not focused on you. Get over you. You're the problem in this scenario. Get over yourself and view what he's put on this table. And as you start to give thanks and you start to praise and you start to feel his love come inside your heart, you start to slowly move up to this place that you're seated, seated in in him. And then he's going he's gonna to position your heart before the meal and you see what he did for you. And you see that that power, the power of pornography, the power of sin and shame and guilt, you see that he was cloaked and covered in that on the cross. That the power that you've been in bondage to, he actually took that power on. He became a pornographer. He became a pornographer, and as you see him accepting you in that state, meeting you, not just going, hey, I, 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 under, I understand. No, I don't just understand. I became it. I, I went to the depths of that sin with you, and from this perspective, all of a sudden, you go, oh my gosh, he can relate to me exactly where I'm at. And as he relates to us where we're at, there's a grace that meets us and starts to work in our lives and we start to see him and where he's at and the power and the victory that we have through the cross and through the meal. Are you following me? So it's from this latitude of this perspective and this light that it starts to invade our heart. And Paul would say, expel the immoral brother that you're not to even associate or eat with a brother like this. Now, this has been crazy. We've had people disfellowshipped in churches, and they write letters. I read one this week. This guy's in immorality, and he's in sin, and we need to disfellowship him. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to get into that, but I am going to get into this, is that Paul is saying you can't associate around this table with someone that's not willing to open up their hearts, someone that's not willing to do what Christ did. Christ gave it all. He was naked, bare before mankind, and he's asking you to do nothing that he hasn't already done, and it's you being bare before him. And if we're not bare before him and bare before each other, then we are not walking in harmony and fellowship and unity by the one bread that's been broken by all. He expects all of us to bring ourselves as we are. Love rejoices in the truth. It rejoices in the truth. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't always, like, it's not happy about truth. It's not like, it, it's not like uh, how can I say it? Um, the Lord will rejoice with you simply being honest. It's the best way to put it. You being honest, no matter what being honest means. My heart's going to be honest before you. When we start to get honest before him and one another, that's when transformation really starts. The religious 
shards fall off and we just start to become alive in his presence. So this dude who's sleeping with his, which just seems like, it's like the Bible gives us like the most outrageous example. Um, but, but it gives us this example to say, listen, if this guy would just repent. But ultimately that condemnation, that shame by them being excluded from this table will drive them to the table. Because the table's the only place that we can find what we need for these problems. Yay? So we, gotta, we deal with that. Uh, approaching in a worthy manner is you saying, man, I have need, there's provision. Yeah. I don't have need, yes, you do. Yeah. I don't have need. No, no, no. You have need. I have need. You have provision. It's, it's this tension, all right? And so we're, we're aware of that in our own lives. We're aware of that in each other's lives. So approaching it is based upon what's at the table, what's been provided for us. So there's another... Um, there's another thing that we've got to, to look at. So therefore, who eats the bread, drinks the cup, Lord, in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body. May, they will stay in condemnation. Verse 28, but a man must examine himself. So I said introspection isn't the right way, but this looks like Paul is saying, get introspective, find sin in your life, examine yourself. If you go to the doctor and they examine you, they're looking for things that are wrong. Yes? If you get an x-ray machine, what is it looking for? Abnormalities. It's looking for problems. And so he's saying examine yourself. Examine yourself for what? That's an important question. Well, let's let the Bible interpret the Bible. Cool? Paul's addressing the same people in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. Paul would use this exact phrase to them. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Look at this. But a man must what? What's the word? It's the same word used in this text. So what, this is important. Two witnesses, two or more witnesses, let scripture testify to itself. But a man must examine himself, and in doing so, uh, he's to eat the bread. Ooh, no, can you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5? Sorry, Miguel. Did I put Miguel asleep? 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Second Corinthians 13.5 says this. It says, test yourselves and see if you are in faith. What's that word? Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail the test? So Paul is saying that you're to examine yourselves, but what are you to examine yourselves for? I've got to preach from my Bible. I'm sorry. Test yourselves to see if you're in the what? If you're in the faith, examine yourself. So you're examining yourself for faith. You're examining yourself for faith. You're not examining yourself for sin. You're examining yourself for faith. Because all sin is actually unbelief. So you combat sin with faith. And so let's go back to our analogy really quickly. What are we examining ourselves? Everyone say it. It's really important. What are we examining ourselves? What are we examining ourselves? We're not examining ourselves for, for, for sin. We're examining ourselves for faith. So as we do that, let's go back to we proclaim his death 
until he returns. So in the midst of us proclaiming, proclaiming, faith comes by hearing, hearing the words. We're proclaiming, we're increasing our faith. We're examining ourselves for faith. So what I look to in my life is I oftentimes, I look to my relationships, I look to my finances, I look to my behaviors, I look to feelings, I look for things that I may be struggling with, whether it's weakness, sickness, various things that I can bring to this table. And I ask this question, how can I grow in faith in this area? Not how can I bring this sinner, this struggle to the Lord? The Lord already sees it. How can I connect my faith in the midst of what I'm going through? How can I connect it to this larger narrative that I'm a part of that's bigger than what I'm going through? Because the larger narrative, if I can connect my faith to it, if I can examine myself and connect my faith and judge rightly, all of a sudden I'm seeing it from this perspective and I don't walk by sight, I walk by faith. And as I get faith in my heart, which is a substance that only he gives, all of a sudden I start to come alive towards that problem and look at it differently. I start speaking differently. I start thinking differently. Although nothing may change down there, everything changes up here because I'm growing in faith. I'm growing in what he's speaking. I'm growing in what he's revealing. I'm growing in what he's provided. And so Paul says, for this reason, for this reason, you will be strong. For this reason, you will be healthy. For this reason, you will live a long life. You can interpret that text that way because you're now seeing it differently. Are you following me? Super fired up this morning. So the Bible in verse 31, I want to end with these three verses. It says, but if we judge ourselves rightly. Now judgment, if we value ourselves rightly, if we recognize rightly as God sees us, we would not be judged. Now this judgment is any other form of judgment, any other form of condemnation. So if we judge ourselves rightly, we would not be what? If we judge rightly, we will not be judged. So the next verse talks about judgment, but this verse says, if we judge ourselves rightly, we will not be what? So how do we judge ourselves rightly? At this table, we find right perspective of ourselves. We can judge ourselves rightly based on what we're going through because we get that perspective and we're looking down. But in verse uh, 32, he says, but when we are judged, now if we judge ourselves rightly, we won't be judged. Yes? But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord. That word for discipline is instruct, trained, by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So I think we can avoid some discipline that God gives us because God is a loving God. It says he disciplines those that he loves. If we approach this meal rightly, this meal will actually correct and discipline us. He won't always, I, people, there's so many believers that I'm like, the Lord's disciplining me. The Lord's disciplining me. Do you know I don't like disciplining my five-year-old? It's not a joy. I love her, but I discipline for her good. But I feel like the Lord is saying, listen, through you communing with me, through you having relationship with me, I will correct and guide you if you judge yourself rightly based on this meal. But if you don't, I'm loving enough that there may be scenarios and things that you go through that will correct you and lead you back to this meal because this meal was always my intended way of correcting and disciplining you. Some of you are getting freed of your weird perspective of God as a father. He's much better than we realize. He's not got this long finger pointed like right at you going, when are we going to deal with that? 
when are we going to deal with that? Woo, when are we going to deal with that? Many of us think God is that way. He's not. He has a big heart pointed to his son and pointed to this meal saying, I've given you all that I have. I've accepted you. Even when you are my enemies, I've invited you to this table. I'm getting delivered. So listen, I, I, I'm, I'm forced to face this. I didn't do it yesterday. Uh, I, I preached a sermon of a brother that died of cancer in our midst. And this, is, this, is, this has bothered me. I don't put it on... I'm not looking to anyone else. I'm looking to myself. I'm examining myself. Eddie was my friend. Eddie had promises over his life. And I believe Eddie died prematurely. Can God use it? Yes. Is God going to bring goodness out of it? Yes. Every hand is a winning hand to the Lord. I believe that. And Margaret believes that. I've talked at length with Margaret about this. But neither one of us believe it was God's will for Eddie to die of cancer. We can create theologies and we can create perspectives that aren't found in the life of Jesus and I don't think are found in this. There's promises in it. There's, he's a shepherd. He's going to lead us through it. He's going to bring out his purposes and his good. But there are things that happen on the earth that aren't his will. No matter, it's like, it's just true. The racial injustice in our country is not his will. The poor and the broken under the bridge over here, the addicted, those that don't know him, those things are not his will. And I don't believe that cancer is God's will. And I believe when cancer hits, a believer especially, fear comes. And it comes to the body, and this Goliath taunts us and says, maybe you're next, maybe you're next, maybe you're next, maybe you're next. Your dad had it, your mom had it. Eddie had it, and we live in fear, and oftentimes, I believe, because of what we've seen happen specifically with cancer, we need a higher perspective from the Lord about this corporately. I'm not, I'm, this isn't condemning anyone. It's, it's not. I'm not even dimming Eddie. Like, I, I think Eddie was believing, and I know there's this realm of mystery, and so we have, we have the not yet, and we have the now. We have the not yet and the now. The not, the, the, the not yet is heaven coming to earth. The now is how much of heaven can we have. And I just believe we can have more. Okay? But Paul, and the reason I'm addressing this in this is he says, For this reason, many among you are weak, sick, and dying. And I'm not, I'm not putting that on, 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 on Eddie. I'm not putting that on others that have, have cancer. But I am saying that at this table, we need to grow in understanding what he has provided for us as his people. We need to grow in faith. And I want to raise a standard specifically over cancer that God heals it. And it is will, it's his will to heal cancer. When the sick and the broken come into this place, we take them to this table and we administer what has been provided for us. And it's a meal that heals. It's a meal that delivers. It's a meal that sets us free. Are you following me? And I know this is a, this is a hard teaching for some of us because we haven't heard a pastor address it as like specific and head on. But but I, I, just, I just know what he paid for, and I want him to have all that he paid for. And this meal is that. Yeah. 
And so Paul, for this reason, I don't know even what it means. I'm growing in it, but I know that I need to explore and discover and dive into the depths of what Christ Jesus provided through his flesh and through his blood. And for too long, for too long, we've just lived in a lesser reality. And I believe there's forerunners on the earth today that are upholding the meal before problems on the earth, and they're seeing them bow to the name of Jesus. He prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. We bring enemies to this table, and we subject them to the feet of Jesus. Death, premature death, is an enemy of God. I said it this weekend. I'm going to land the plane, but... We will all die unless Christ returns. Everyone in this room will die unless Christ returns. That will happen. Now, death is a door. It's a door into eternal life. It's a door into your, your spirit and your soul are immediately with the Lord, and one day your body will be resurrected. So this thing, this death, this doorway where Eddie went, he is with the Lord today. He's with kids in heaven. He is, like, happy. Eddie would not return He's like an amazing place, and we will be with Eddie one day. Are you with me? But, but on, on this side, on this side, on this side, I, I believe death is a reality for all. On this side, I just, I just have convictions about how we die. And I think people are prematurely dying because we're not valuing and estimating fully what the Lord has provided for us here. And I'm not the one saying that. Paul is. So how do you grow? Come to that higher perspective. Sit with the bread. Sit with the blood. And really allow it to come alive in your heart. Read this book. Like really start working your heart and your relationship with the Lord around this meal. And over time, like you grow in a personal conviction about what I'm saying. And corporately, we grow as a, in a personal conviction about what I'm saying. Thank you for listening to this message. For more information about the Upper Room, please visit Europe.org.